Here at Country Roads magazine for 40 years, with curiosity as our guide, we've been wandering the back roads of Mississippi and Louisiana, discovering and sharing Southern culture's most compelling stories. It's a chance to listen closer and discover more. And maybe laugh a little too. I'm James Fox-Smith, publisher. And I'm Jordan LaHaye-Fontenot, managing editor. And I'm Alexandra Kennan, arts and entertainment editor. And this is Detours, a new podcast from your friends at Country Roads Magazine. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Detours, a podcast from the people behind Country Roads magazine. Today, it's just the three of us editorial types, me, James, Jordan, and Alex. Hey, guys. Happy Friday. Hey, James. Hi, James. Excited to be back at it. Yes. Absolutely. Me too. I'm glad. What are we going to talk about today? So today, we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, We, you know, when we first started this podcast, we wanted to use Detours as a means to really bring dynamic subjects to our audience in a new way. But we also wanted to kind of let everybody in on our process a little bit and get to know the magazine on kind of that more intimate level. So we are today going to be recording the first of our Between the Lines special episodes, where we dive into various uh, dimensions and topics of decision-making and brainstorming that happens behind the scenes at Country Roads. Yeah, sort of a way to lift the veil on our editorial conversations and our meetings that we usually have in private, but we thought we'd let you into a little bit. Exactly. Right, right, right. I mean, there's a lot of times where the discussions we have are wide-ranging and broad, uh, and some of the best subject matter and content for Country Roads and some of the best ideas come out of those conversations. So this is a little bit of an experiment to see what happens if we try to bring a little bit of that, edited of course, to you guys, the readers, so you can get a clearer sense of really our thought process and the really the mechanics of how issues of Country Roads come together, kind of how the sausage is made, if you like. Absolutely. And uh, know that we trust you to let you into this, because while we do have some of our best ideas in these meetings, we also have some of the worst. So (laughs) genuinely the worst. And we want to share all of that with you. (laughs) Yeah, there's a whole lot of stuff that ends up on the cutting room floor. So uh, if you can deal with some of that, then you'll hear some really great stuff as Mm -hmm. well. For sure. Uh, Today, we're, we're actually talking about something that I think we don't feel we are we have a lot of expertise in, um, which is why we keep talking about it, right? Yes, absolutely. Keeps coming up. <laughs> uh, almost always a topic of conversation, mostly because we have absolutely figured out from 20 years of doing this that we really do not have the answers. And what is that? Social media. In many ways, the yes, antithesis exactly. of print publishing, or in a way it is, you know, considering that we operate in one of the oldest types of media or the types of media that's been around since the invention of the print press and uh, TikTok is a little bit more contemporary. So, so yeah, so let's preface that by pointing out that we are absolutely not social media experts. What we are is a small editorial team trying to get our carefully produced content in front of the largest possible audience. Right. And to do that, this, this being the contemporary world, that inevitably make, means that social media has to be part of that recipe. 
So we're going to talk a little bit today about some of the issues and some of the uh, of the thoughts processes that we have as we figure out how to share the content that appears in the pages of Country Roads in other mediums as well. Right. And I think that this is something that a lot of small businesses in general deal with, right? Like, we're all kind of trying to navigate this world where we're doing something and social media can be a really great tool. But there's a lot of like figuring out and always fighting with the algorithm and it's always changing. So this is just something we're talking about all the time. And right now we're talking about it a lot because we are working with a team from LSU, a team of LSU social media students who are uh, with Lance Porter's class at the MassCom school who are who have dedicated their semester to kind of taking us on as a practice client. And they've offered some really interesting insights into what we've been doing and how we could do better. But before we get into all of that, I would love to start kind of, I would love to hear from you, James, a little bit about Country Road's social media journey. You know, Country <laughs> Road has been around since before social media really was a thing. So when did, when did the magazine decide, like, we need to get on Facebook or whatever it was? Yeah, yeah, it, it that's really true. So um, I believe that I'm right in saying this, that uh, Country Roads first established a, a Facebook account in 2005. Uh, so I believe if I'm right about this, uh, Facebook was established in 2004, um, or at least it became um, available to the general public in uh 2004. And in 2005, it was just this exciting, wide open medium that uh, seemed to have this tremendous amount of potential to put interesting stories in front of an audience that wasn't already reading the magazine. If only you could, if only you could engage their attention. And none of us really knew anything about how to, how to use it, how to who was on it. It felt like this wild frontier. And really, I mean, here's another point piece in that, which was that 2005, the internet was just a very different place from what it is in 2023. Um, Country roads at that point, the vast majority of our readership and our audience was still engaging with the magazine by picking up a printed copy uh, at one of sort of 450 or 500 delivery locations where we put it. Sure, the magazine was online. I think we even had a very early version of a weekly e-newsletter that went out. It was called Milepost, as a matter of fact. And we had a small but enthusiastic audience there. But that was really, both of those things are kind of one-way streets. They're kind of, you write it, you publish it, and people consume it, right? You know, it's just that one-way conversation. And the fascinating thought, the idea with the early iterations of social media was that that conversation could happen in two directions. And so early on, without having any idea how better to use it, we were just putting the stories that appeared in country roads and then we were posting them online and sharing them through our Facebook page. And I don't think to begin with, there was even a true business page at that point. It was simply a page that we'd started on Facebook called country roads that we stuck stories on. 
And in those early days, it sometimes was amazing how much how much engagement and how widely those stories got read. So, um, you know, if there's one thing we've learned about social media is that it changes all the time. So uh, whatever was the case then, it may not be the case now. And that story just keeps on changing. And it's exciting to try and keep up as it evolves. Wow, for Absolutely. sure. It's really interesting to hear that Country Roads was kind of on the, the front end of hopping on the Facebook bandwagon. I didn't realize that. I suppose so. I mean, I obviously, I guess MySpace was around before that. I don't remember us ever having had much to do with MySpace. At the time that we started first engaging with it, it was a pretty good place to get information about bands. Uh, it was a pretty good place to uh, to find early demo recordings from musicians. And we actually used MySpace a good bit that way in researching for subject matter for articles with the magazine. But I don't think that we ever had, it ever really occurred to us, to be honest, that we could actually share, inform- share the magazine's own content in that department. Right. But that might also be a reflection of the fact that we were probably really quite unsophisticated with how we were using the internet at all in those points, because we were first and foremost a print publication. And that, that involves a sort of a change of change of perspective. When you, when you change from thinking that you are first and foremost a print publication to a publication, which, which is just putting out material that you want people to read mm-hmm. yeah that's actually really interesting to think about how big of a shift because right now i think we take it for granted especially alex and i who uh kind of grew up around digital media but yeah that is actually a huge shift of perspective when you think about the identity of the publication as something we that right. people read versus something people read on their lap in a couch like you know it ch- changes kind of everything. No, I was just going to say, it couldn't be a more different way of presenting the content. You know, with the print publication, we really focus on these long form or, or longer form, in some cases, stories that, that really dive into these these cultural aspects, whereas social media by nature needs to be a little shorter, a little quippier, a little more easily digestible. So it seems to kind of have been a, a leap from the beginning to make that uh, that shift. Right. And at first, you know, whenever you guys got started, I'm tr- I think that when social media really, you know, MySpace and the beginning, the early days of Facebook, it was it was really more of a social like person to person platform. The businesses came seemed to kind of come on later. Yeah, I think that's true. I think to begin with, it was really primarily, um, at least from the public point of view, I think that uh Facebook was used, most people saw it primarily as a medium for keeping in touch and and establishing and continuing conversations with friends. And whether that was a one-on-one conversation or whether it was a conversation with a nascent audience of people, uh, I think most people came to it to begin with as a means of connecting individually with people, with friends. I think that the audience building aspect of it probably occurred to most of us after we had already started using Facebook as a means of keeping in Mm -hmm. touch with people. It's amazing how much it's changed. I mean, now all of the platforms are business tools. They are. Almost, almost foremost. Um, And and they are. And that's, that's an interesting notion is because if you think about the ways in which say TikTok differs from 
the early Facebook, if Facebook was something that you created an account on to begin with because you wanted to talk to a friend in a different place um, or, um, you know, have a, have a conversation, then TikTok or Instagram are primarily a means of broadcasting yourself to a much, much larger, a wider audience. Um, and that is it, what's interesting about that is there's something full circle about it. It is almost more like what a publication does when you sit down, you create a piece of content, uh, create an article, and you put it out there for people to consume. What is TikTok if not a, a medium that creates content for people to mm-hmm. consume? It's not really a two-way conversation in the same way. Right. So social media is absolutely evolving, and it's interesting to think that it might be evolving in some ways to be a little bit more like what came before, which is a publication. Right. It's interesting to, to be a a publication specifically a print publication that that has been around since before all of that correct and now to be figuring out how to continue in that tradition but also make use of all these tools and find a place on the social media landscape that's beneficial to our business and you know helps us make those connections that social media kind of fosters Right. And to continue to evolve as the social media and as the technology evolves too, you know, Country Roads, of course, has evolved and changed as well, but ultimately it's remained our monthly print publication. So it's interesting to see how this this one magazine has kind of shifted with the times over the course of, you know, the last 15 plus years. Traditional media for a long time now have had a pretty conflicted relationship with social media. Um, The... You know, our model has always been built on creating things that people want to consume, whether that whether we are a print publication or a digital one or a a, a TV channel, we create something that people care about or we hope that they care about it and we put it out there and then that attracts an audience. And that audience subscribes to the magazine or they look at the ads that are alongside that content in the magazine. And that is how our business runs. It's also, incidentally, how how all the free information on the Internet operates is because there are people looking at it and that information is valuable. Um, and that attention is valuable to advertisers and as subscribers. What social media always did was say, oh, hey, print publication, digital publication. We can show your stuff to our audience. You spend the money to produce it. You make great stuff and put it out there and maybe some people will see it. By the way, social media did not have to create that content. Right. So the brilliance of social media was to create this endless stream of content created and paid for by other people. You know, it's that oldest thing in the world is that if the service is free, then you are the product mm-hmm. and we are the product. And that has never sat well with, with traditional publications because we work our hearts out to produce this beautiful content that people care about. And then we give it away for, say, the Facebooks of the world right. to monetize for their own benefit. And maybe even we might even turn around and have to pay to have people actually see it. Um, so it's a conflicted relationship and one that I think holds a lot of us back from diving in with two feet. It's the same, same old adage of don't build your house on rented land. 
because you could come up with a whole strategy for this and then it might change because Facebook or Instagram or anybody decides they're going to change the way that that information and that algorithm delivers. And then everything you thought you know about how to connect with an audience is gone. That used to happen. Country roads in the early days would have tens of thousands of interactions on a given piece of content in the early days of that. But that has changed and it's gone away. And so you have to continually change your recipe if you want to attract people's attention. And the way that this digital environment has really messed up the whole economic system is it it started giving it away for free. And I can say this as someone who grew up kind of not used to thinking I had to pay for my news. And, And I think that that's where we are, is that publications are having to think of new ways to generate revenue, charge people to read their online content. People are pissed about it, but it's... The money has to come from somewhere. Yeah, that's right. You're exactly right. Yeah. So, but a lot, in fact, it's been it's been um, pointed out many times that in the early days of the internet, one of the biggest mistakes that traditional media made was ever giving away what they did for free. You know, like whatever pub. You know, the Advocate. Um, the New York Times doesn't matter what newspaper you read wherever you got your information 30 years ago if you if you expected them to give it away for free they would have laughed at you they were like no we've got to pay hundreds of journalists we have to put a roof over their head we have to buy you know employ photographers and researchers and publishers and printers and every other thing why on earth would we give you that for free you must be crazy so then the internet comes along and we're all like we'll just put it on there for free. And and then, all right, so great. All of a sudden, nobody has to buy that newspaper anymore. So of course, everybody expects to get it for free on the internet. You can't really blame the audience, can you? No. Um, For getting it for free. So once you train everybody that everything on the internet is available for free, who on earth is going to pay to produce the stuff that's good? Exactly. That's a difficult argument. That's a difficult explanation to come up with a good answer for. Right, it's totally disruptive. Um, and I, and I think we're still figuring it out, yes. There's also the influx of content, like this motive, social media motivates everyone to create so much content, so now we're just drowning in it. And it's mostly free, but there's, it's not necessarily quality mm. content. It's not something that's, that a writer spent a lot of time researching or editing, or an editor editing and then someone fact checking. And that's just where we're at right now. And that's the result of how the internet has evolved as far as delivering content. And it's, um, it's a strange and interesting place to be. But here we are. Well, and then if you layer on um, the development of generative artificial intelligence, which, of course, everybody's talking about now, um, we're about to see if we think that social media was a disruptor, We just wait and see what AI adds to the equation because that takes a whole nother um, leg of support out from under creators of, of content that appears on the internet that has a financial model behind it. Because what does AI do? It just sucks in everything and then spits it back out in a reorganized fashion. Now, whether the information that it sucks in and and gathers is accurate, correct, fact-checked, or anything else, 
probably doesn't matter if it sounds to most people as if it's accurate, as if it's right. And I don't think we've even begun as a society to reckon with what that's going to do to change the way we consume information online. Thank you, right? I don't think so. Um, and we're already faced with such an oversaturation of content like we've been talking about, you know, for every uh, publication, I, I would say legitimate, but I don't want to, you know, it's a great thing ultimately that we do have this open platform for people to express their ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately that is a positive thing, but for every one traditional publication that may or may not have a paywall, there are hundreds of blogs and individuals who are, are producing content about similar things. And again, whether or not that's fact-checked is one thing, but now we're also going to have to contend with this other level of if it's even human-produced. Yeah. Um, it's wild. Correct. So yeah. we'll be curious to see. It could make your head spin. It does. It really and could. I think it's important to keep our thumbs on it and to keep trying our best to keep up with as far as social media goes and, and media and like audience demands of where your media should be. But I think, like you were saying, James, to have this bedrock of... Uh, publication that creates high quality content created by people um in a print Mm -hmm. format too i think i think that it's important to that's our that's our bought land you know our purchased land versus this rented land yeah well put that's true i mean alex alex you and i are like younger millennials i i mean i did not grow up with an iphone in my hand but i had one in high school yeah absolutely i mean we did grow up of course you know with with the internet and with computers to some degree but but this idea of like social media being this constant ever-present thing didn't really happen until we were like reaching at least our our sort of like preteen teenage years and i know for me being the little contrarian that i was i personally uh waited a little while before i was willing to get on facebook you know a lot of my, my friends, um, my freshman and sophomore year of high school, they already had Facebook and I was still over on like live journal and deviant art. If anyone <laughs> remembers those platforms, uh, just kind of like doing my own weird little thing over there. So it took me a while to kind of accept, oh no, this really is the new terrain and this is the yeah. new standard for how to communicate. And if you don't get on board with this, then you're going to lose a lot of contacts um, and, and miss out on a lot of opportunity to connect with people. Right. Um, well, let let me ask you guys something uh, out of curiosity. Like, okay, so I'm in my early 50s. You guys are in your late 20s, right? Um, we're a different generation and we've had a different relationship with media, despite all being, we're all bookish people. We're all readers. We're all writers. We have words matter and the, and everybody who reads and everybody who writes is interested in how we connect with the audiences for those subjects. Um, I have often felt over the course of my professional life that there is an expectation to perform on social media, to be present there, to deliver there, and to deliver something meaningful there that I haven't always been particularly comfortable to do. And I'm curious from you guys, both personally and also professionally, whether you feel the same, the same expectation as a writer, as a publisher of things, 
that you must also be present in those spaces, in those landscapes, in some way that matters and makes sense. Can you talk oh, yeah. a little bit about that, each of you guys, sure. uh, your relationship with that? Oh, absolutely. Because it is such a pressure, you know, like it almost becomes this, if I didn't post it, did it even happen kind of mentality. Or just someone that know I was there think I didn't have a good time. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? It's like Right. I feel like too, in college, I felt more like I... I was getting it and like doing it right um, than I do now. <laughs> Interesting. I, yeah. I I also feel like though during that time that was really the Instagram era, right? Like Alex will, you know, like that's whenever a lot of, that was, you know, now it's all about video, but back then it was really about these curated images and um, I think I, I liked that better. Maybe I think that says something about like, being a writer too, having a lot of control over the the story and the voice that you deliver. There's like a lot of curation and, and um, in a photo is still, and you have more control over that than a video, you know, that's sort of a shift that's taken place. Is that generational? Yeah. Because like f- Facebook was to me, at least when we first started, it was about saying something, saying something, smart or fun or, you know, that was a, an interesting observation. Um, and you could garner a lot of, um, attention for that. And of course, attention always feels good. Um, Instagram, obviously inherently a visual medium, TikTok, a very, a a video medium, um, and an audio medium. So does everybody have a place they feel comfortable that, um, that, you know, if, if Instagram is what you guys, you know, grew into adulthood with does that fit does that inherently mean that something else comes along which becomes which is a better fit for the next generation i think well so. i think the new generation kind of makes it right i think it's sort of yeah it's reflective of who they are and that you know can get complicated but there's reactions and i mean this new generation grew up in COVID. i don't know there you know you can explain all those things but yeah i think that I've I've read about and observed there's like a um a desire for authenticity that might even be a reaction to this Instagram era that was so curated and um careful and um almost sort of not true like almost sort of you know I I can even think of examples and I I wasn't spending time with like influencers or anything but I was spending time with people who I remember going on a hike with some girls in college and this was early on and, and realizing that we were on the hike, not really to hike, but to take pictures in front of the waterfalls, Yeah, you know, and I feel like there was a, a time where people were doing things for the sake of taking pictures to post on Instagram to make it look like their life was really having, they were having a great time, almost at the expense of having yeah. a great time. Yeah. I, I think that we're moving away from that a little bit. There's more... It's totally different and there's pros and cons, but um, there's a there's a little bit of a more expectation for, you know, barefaced authenticity, speaking from the heart sort of thing. Absolutely. Going on. Even if that barefaced authenticity is pretty well curated in and of itself. <laughs> well, it yeah, is, isn't it? For sure. As, and it's all branded. Yeah, the clean girl well. aesthetic. Yeah. My kids with their B-real yeah, accounts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I promise you not being 
and like, who the heck would be real whenever it sends you the note? Nobody's going to, right? But it's a, it's, a, it's a cute idea. Right. There's always a filter. Uh, even without a literal filter, the, the whole screen itself is kind of, it is a, it's a separation between reality that is becoming, I feel like, people perceiving it to be thinner and thinner. It, it's getting harder to tell what's real That's and what's not. Yeah, and, every, and if everything's a reaction against what came before. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you, I guess we could sit here and talk all day about the distinction between the different platforms and, and the ways in which they offer something that the, the other one doesn't. Um, right. But there's also a bit of a sense to me that each new one that arrives it's 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 life in the sun seems to be shorter than the one that came before right i mean facebook was dominant for a long time i don't think there are many of us that think that facebook is the most dominant force in social media now or it's not going to be right 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 um um it, instagram appears to have fought, stumbled somewhat um and the momentum is with tiktok which right. may or may not be the case once the the threat that it is perceived to uh, represent to privacy and even national security gets it makes its way through the way it's legislated against who mm-hmm. knows what the future will be and i just it strikes me that the printing press is 600 years and counting right um <laughs> and and I, and i i mean i don't, this will come as a surprise to nobody, but four or five or six or even 10 years ago, it, there are many people who would have told you that the printing press's days were numbered, that right. who in their right mind would still be printing words on paper in a purely digital era, um, in a purely connected era. And, yeah, and yes, we occupy a different space and a different slice, but nevertheless, there's still a permanence it has a durability and in some ways a tangibility that matters perhaps more in an age where other published media information is ephemeral to the point of being there one second and gone the next. It's almost become the antidote to to this digital age in a lot of ways, you know, as as all of our content does have this filter we've been talking about, even if that is just processing it through a screen, there is something about that tangibility that that I don't think, or I at least hope, will will never be something that's lost. Which brings us back to the, the existential question, which is what we got started talking about this on, which is, If all of those things are true, then how does a traditional print publication present itself in the social media space in a way that actually adds something to the conversation and has a chance to to offer something relevant to the people who see it? Right. And I think that's what we're struggling with, right? Right. And maybe every publication always struggles with. For sure. And I think, you know, in recent weeks, we've talked a little bit about our goals. Like, what what do we get out of social media? What is, yeah. how does it assist country roads? And I, I think we've, you know, I think that that's ever evolving a little bit at the bottom. At the end of the day, it's, you know, a place for us to share our content and hopefully get more eyes on it. Especially, I think, in this landscape where more people are getting their content only from social media or only from digital sources and aren't going to pick up a print magazine or 
or find or look up a print magazine even. I mean, I know a lot of people who get all of their news from social media. So yeah, it's kind of meeting the people where they are. I think also, like you mentioned, James, it offers important opportunities to engage directly in a way that, you know, it offers that two-way street a little bit more than... Um, than just handing, dropping off our print magazines at a grocery store can. Um, and hoping somebody finds it. Yeah. yeah. Hoping somebody picks it up. Although sure. you could argue the same thing for putting a post out there on, you know, oh, yeah. social media. Don't, don't believe what they tell you. You know, there is still a very wide gulf between um, posting something and having any clue who's going to see it. Absolutely. And I think that what we've struggled with, especially in the last few years, is is specifically this new wave of video media and and that the way the algorithms started to cater to that and our inexperience in that in that medium and using how does how does our written word get delivered in a short video how do we you know how do we do that well um and and we are also a small team like a lot of small businesses we don't have the resources to spend hours and hours and days and days researching and and trying and all of this, you know, we are working within some limitations. So it kind of has gotten put to the back burner because it doesn't always feel worth it. You know, a lot of times we spend a lot of energy trying new things and then it doesn't really deliver the results we hoped for. So I think that's part of our hesitation up until now. Would you guys agree? I think so. Yeah, it can be a little intimidating. And and also, I think we were in denial for a little while that our content could be translated yeah. in that short form way. You know, we, we spent so much energy and our writers spend so much energy researching and interviewing for these stories that I think we kind of get in our heads about, oh, well, there's no way that that could be condensed into a 30 second video. Um, you know, it really only should be appreciated in its original form. But I think you're right, Jordan, that it's really important to meet people where they are. And we have observed, you know, that this younger generation really does love these short form videos. Lord knows, you know, as much as I was hesitant to get on TikTok myself, I certainly consume them too. Um, and and so I can see, you know, that there is obviously a benefit towards getting it out there to the widest audience possible. It's just a matter of crossing that hurdle of how to do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it, it's a steep learning curve. Um, and so I think that probably brings us around to the opportunity that we've had, which is to work with a group of students uh, in LSU's Manship School of Mass Communication who are, shall we say, the natural inhabitants of this space in that um, in that not only are they students of mass communication, but they also have grown up comfortable with absorbing and developing the skills to communicate in this space. And the opportunity we've had has been to let them give them the run of Country Roads content to see if there is a better way to d deliver it in the platform spaces that meets people, like you said, Alex, where they are. And that's what I think is exciting here, is to watch what happens if you get your own preconceptions out the way and let somebody else decide how your carefully curated content should be presented. Right. It, it's been a little scary, actually, to, yeah, to, uh, right, absolutely. <laughs> let our, to hand our stuff off to someone else. Um, but, you know, we're in the middle of this process right now, but I think we've already gotten some important insights from them and um, also some confirmation that our content is, in fact, relevant to people their age 
they just aren't finding it. Yeah. I think that we've always suspected that, but having them work on this has kind of confirmed that and shown us that that is there is a demographic there that would love our content but isn't finding it. And that's what we the gap that we need to close here. Um and they're giving us some interesting ways, you know, to of of addressing that and they've they've started our TikTok Mm-hmm. Um, we are now Ooh. on TikTok. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, I'm looking forward to getting out of my comfort zone there, Alex. I don't know how you feel about it, but I think that watching them do it is giving me ideas and kind of bolstering my confidence about how we can try new things. And I just went on this trip to Brookhaven, which the article is in our April road trips issue. Brookhaven, Mississippi, I spent a day or two up there and did a travel piece and so I kind of put it in my head okay instead of just taking a million pictures what if you like made little videos that we can try to stitch together and what are some ways that I can think about this in a new way uh for for new types of content so I think that you know we might be moving kind of slow but I think we're we're getting there right Absolutely. I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's taken us a while to kind of accept and then figure out how exactly to present our content in this way. And I think having uh, Dr. Porter's social media class sort of just shove us off the ledge and and go ahead and push us in the right direction was really helpful. So shout out to our team with Dr. Porter's class. And thanks, guys. If anything, it got us to start having these conversations again and kind of bring them to top of mind, which I think often they get just kind of shoved down below all the more... Um, you know, we're working, we're a deadline team. We're always working on a deadline. So it's, it's easy to push stuff like this to a later date. Well, and it's one thing that it's made me recognize is that there are a good story is a good story is a good story. Um, and when, when you have the, the kind of material and the, and the images to illustrate it and the experiences that it encapsulates, if you have more, if there are more mediums or media out there by which to potentially engage people with that story, it's, it's incumbent upon you to try to figure out how it belongs in each of those media. And looking at what Dr. Porter's team have done on Country Road's Instagram account and then Country Road's Facebook account and TikTok account and the differing ways in which the same stories have presented in each of those cases, whether that be with a combination of text and images or short form stitched together video or the addition of music um, to, to make them jump out and to make them stop a reader and look twice, who might never pick up a copy of the country roads and find that article in the printed form and might never find their way. It might never click on an e-newsletter that we send, um, but will engage with a piece because it's fascinating in video and want to learn more and then dive in to see where it goes from there. Then that's an incredible opportunity for us. And that's what I'm excited about is having um, this group of smart people show us the ways in which these same stories can be delivered in different ways um, to capture the attention of different kinds of people. 
Right. And I thought that was one of the most interesting insights from them, which seems obvious in retrospect, but it's about the different branding they're utilizing across yeah. these different platforms. It's not just a matter of being on Facebook and being on Instagram and being on TikTok. It's understanding how these audiences on these different platforms are consuming that content. And, and yeah. it does vary platform to platform. So that's been really interesting to learn. Um, I remember one of them, one of the first things they said was, oh, my aunt loves Country Roads. And I replied by saying, well, yes, we've got the ant demographic pretty well tapped into. Shout out to the ants who might be listening to this. Um, love you. Thanks for listening. But that being said, it's really the, the nieces and the nephews and the other folks, you know, and, and that audience that might be more on TikTok than they are on Facebook or more on Instagram than they are reading print um, that we want to tap into. And I think they've done a great job of helping us reach some of those folks that are a little bit younger. Right. And all of that is assuming that TikTok doesn't get banned in the next few weeks. <laughs> and Wouldn't that Elon bad. Musk doesn't shut Twitter down. Um, Could happen, too. Just kind of also, also just shows you, like, you know, as much effort as we put into this, and we should be putting in the effort, and I'm excited about all the opportunities, We, you can't do this without being ready to pivot at any minute. <laughs> like, don't put all so your true. digital eggs you in one basket. Mm-hmm. In three years, we might be having this conversation and it'll be totally different. And that is perplexing and sometimes kind of frustrating. But I think that's just the the nature of our landscape right now, especially as a content creating company and content creating people as well. Um, I think that that's just something that we have to accept and embrace and find ways to make it work to our benefit. Well, I mean, stories will always be there, right? And human beings are a story creating and story consuming people. That's how we learn. And uh, that's how we make sense of the world around us and how the, how the story is delivered is changes as time goes on, but it doesn't change the, the, our sort of hunger to, to know and to learn and to understand the place that surrounds us. And I think that that is the one thing that's a constant, regardless of the platform upon which it's presented. Um, If Country Roads is the place where it starts, it certainly doesn't need to be the place that it ends. So I'm excited about the, the, what we're learning along the way. And I'm hoping that we can take some of it and, uh, and incorporate it and, um, and, and keep using it moving forward. For all we've said about social media, the beauty of it is that it's an audience and it's a two-way conversation. So otherwise, we're just three uh, writer nerd types sitting in a corner spewing stuff out into the world and hoping that there's somebody interested. What we really, truly love is to hear from our audience and to understand what you guys want what you want to see in country roads, what you want to see online, what you want to see in social media. So we would like to hear from you whether you think that we are doing a good job, if we're doing a bad job, and if there are things that you would like to see or dimensions of the storytelling that we do that you would like to experience in social media, we'd love to hear from you about that. We sure would. If you guys have any thoughts or ideas or even just want to tell us a story about your experience engaging with us in print or on social media, um, just give us a shout at detours at countryroadsmag.com. You could also send us a message on Facebook. On Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. And now on TikTok, you can message us there too. Find us in all those places. We would love to hear from you. 
If this is your first time listening and you like what you heard, and if you're still with us at this point, we're going to assume that you do. Please subscribe to Detours, give us a rating, and maybe even send it to a friend. And if you're not already reading Country Roads magazine, you probably should be. To read online, find a copy, or subscribe to have the monthly issues delivered to your door, visit countryroadsmag.com. Detours is written, presented, and produced by us, the editorial team at Country Roads magazine, James Fox-Smith, Jordan Lahey-Fontenot, and Alexandra Kenner. Our theme music was written and recorded by Bill Daniel and Sam Shaheen of Naughty Professor and produced by Bill Daniel at Wildchild Studios in New Orleans. The Detours logo and other associated artwork was created by Country Roads Magazine's creative director, Courtney Zimmerman. And the audio editing for this season was done by me, Jordan Lahey-Fontenot, with the help from Alexandra Kinnan and Sam Shaheen. We'd also like to thank the East Baton Rouge Parish Library's River Center branch, particularly Wesley Morgan, for allowing us to utilize the recording studio in their maker's space to record several episodes for this first season and for helping us along the way. So, until our next detour, don't be a stranger. You can always reach us at detours at countryroadsmag.com. And thanks for listening.